So today we come together again, continue on our path. To continue together on our path. Sometimes we get caught up in the practice and in our own work and our own practice. And we don't take the time to appreciate the community and appreciate each other. So just thought to take the opportunity to express my appreciation and all of you. All of you come here, and let all of us come together and support each other in our practice and support this community to continue. Our, our friendship with each other is in our uh, adherence to the practice to the same practice and to the right practice. Adherence to morality, adherence to concentration, adherence to wisdom, making our best effort to avoid the immoral or unethical behavior and we're doing our best to avoid distraction of mind and cause distraction and to avoid ignorant solution which disrupts all three of these of course disrupt the communal harmony and the Buddha said samakanang tapo sukha samakanang tapo Happy is the exertion or the effort put out. Happy is the work. Happy is the asceticism of those in harmony. Sukha Sanghasa Samaki. The harmony of the Sangha is happiness. So something we should always think about is this harmony that rather than trying to always get our own way and find our own way, think of the harmony of Sangha. But I'm not, this isn't a lecture, I don't want you to think that I'm, I have something in mind when I'm saying this and thinking, what did I do wrong? because there's nothing wrong that I can see. Maybe there's many things wrong that I can't see, but from what I see, I, I want to pre express appreciation for the harmony and the dedication that we're all coming together to practice, to listen to the Dhamma, and to support each other in, the, in our practice. Tonight I was listening to something on the radio uh, just before I came here. Uh, and so I thought I would talk about it because sometimes I can't think of something new to talk about every day, every day. I'm thinking, what, do I, what should I talk about? And then suddenly the great thing about being in the monastery is there's always some sort of Dhamma. And so I was hearing the, discussing the Giri Mananda Sutta. And it, it uh, struck me immediately because it's something that's very powerful, very appropriate for meditators. Something that my teacher taught many times to us. So, kind of a lucky break. I wouldn't have thought about it myself. But the radio 
the monk on the radio is teaching the Girimananda Sutta. It's a very fairly popular sutta. They actually will chant the sutta in Sri Lanka. But I've never heard them chant it in Thailand, I don't think. Now probably they do in some places. The Girimananda Sutta is a sutta delivered to a sick monk, Girimananda, who uh, recovered from his sickness when he heard these ten perceptions that the Buddha taught to Ananda. Ananda came to the Buddha and said, Girimananda is sick, it would be good if you went to him out of compassion. And the Buddha, rather than going, the Buddha looked and saw what was the the cure, and so he taught Ananda these ten sanya, and said, "If you teach these to Girimananda, maybe that he he gets better." But they also show sort of a progression of the Buddha's teaching, a pro progression of the practice of the Buddha's teaching. Um, or, or rather. A, a road map or, or a, a detailed explanation of the, the practice. They're not in order, so to speak, but some of them are in order and they all uh, come together in a fairly detailed explanation of our practice. Ten, ten dhammas. Really, they have to be experienced. Yeah, but I'll try to go through them here. The easy part is remembering them, the hard part is understanding them. And so once you see how hard it is to remember these ten, you think, oh, how difficult to understand. The first one, anicca sanya, the perception of impermanence. The second one, Anatta-sanya, the perception of non-self. Number three, asubha-sanya, perception of uh, ugliness or loathsomeness. Number four, adhinava-sanya, perception of the, the disadvantages or the negative side of things. A disadvantage. Number five, Bahana Sanya, knowledge, uh, perception of abandoning, or giving up, or removing. Number six, Viraga Sanya, knowledge of dispassion, um, perception of dispassion. Number seven, Niroda Sanya, knowledge of cessation, perception of sense, cessation, perception of cessation. Number eight, Sabalokehi Anabhirata Sanya, the perception of non. Delight in the whole, in all world, all three worlds, in all the worlds, in all worlds. And number nine, Sabha Sankar, Sabha Sankarisu, Anitasanya. Anitta sanya, it actually could be anitta sanya depending on the text you look at, but it's probably anitta sanya because we already talked about anitta sanya. So anitta sanya means uh, perception of all sankharas, all formations as undesirable. And number ten, anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing. So he said, the Buddha said, reminding Girimananda these ten things will make him, will cure him of his sickness. 
This is the power of the Dhamma. The other thing the Buddha used, maybe you think, well, this is, this is not, we're not sick, why do we need this teaching? But the, the, the power of the teaching is, is not just in making people sick. The reason why, I'm making people well, the reason why it makes people healthy to hear these things is because of the power of the teaching. How we know this, the only other thing the Buddha used for sick monks is the bodhjanga. When Mahamogalana was sick, when Mahakaspa was sick, even when the Buddha himself was sick, he had someone chant him the bodhjanga. Satime Mogalana Bodhjanga. There are seven, these are the seven bodhjanga. Sati Sambojango Ko Kasapo Kasapa Maya Sammadaka To and so on. The knowledge the teaching on the Bojangas, which are the factors of enlightenment, these are right? I talked about these already. No? Just hearing these things, the, the the core essence of the, the path to become Enlightened is the other thing that the Buddha used. So we can think of these as on par with that teaching on the Bodhjangas. And the Bodhjangas are certainly not simply for for curing sick bhikkhus. The Buddha pointed these ten sannyas out because they are ten which are most potent and most powerful in terms of. Uh, charging the mind and giving confidence and uh, encouragement to the mind, setting the mind on the right course. So these are ten things that we should think about, uh, at, at least means during the time you're listening to think about, not when you're practicing. But we remember them and then it will remind us how to practice and the way in which we should practice and how, where our practice should lead us. Remembering that this is the framework on which we base our practice. They actually all sound quite, uh, or many of them sound quite uh, negative. And in some sense, Buddhism is a fairly negative religion. No? We have these four noble truths and they're all about suffering. What's the best we can hope for? Freedom from suffering. Happiness? Not a word. Right? And now here we have these sannyas, everything's impermanent and loathsome and disadvantages and so on. But this, this really is uh, disingenuous. It, it, disingenuous. It's not uh, disingenuous, it's... it's uh, dishonest to say such a thing. It means a person hasn't really studied the Buddha's teaching. Because the Buddha said that the mind is pure in and of itself. It's already pure. The nature of the mind, the nature of reality, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing that need be changed. Happy, We can be happy all the time, but, but for suffering. So once we're free from suffering, what should we worry about? What else should we need? If there were no suffering, why would we have to look for happiness? All we would have is happiness and calm. If nothing, if, if, if there were never a situation of suffering, then all that's left is happiness and calm. Sometimes calm, sometimes happy. Never suffer. If we think of it like that, it's... All you have to do is think for a second, what, what is the implication of not suffering? So that's why these sannyas are most important. Negative things are most important. Because they help us to let go of our defilement. They help us to let go of our craving, which is the cause of suffering. Once we see that the cause of suffering is our partiality, our attachment to things, may they be like this, may they not be like that. then we can understand how important it is to 
realize these dangers, realize the negative side of these things that we're attaching to. Realize that happiness doesn't exist in anything outside of ourselves. So we'll go through quickly through these ten, no? because there's many of them. Anitya sanya, to see that the five aggregates are impermanent. Or the six senses, I can't remember. The anitya sanya and anatta sanya, they're based on the five aggregates and the six senses. I think it goes, anitya is based on the six senses and the anatta is based on the five aggregates, but they're actually the same. They're both impermanent and, and non-self. But in the Anatta Lakana Sutta, the Buddha talked about the five aggregates as, as being non-self. But how he pointed it out was by saying they're impermanent. And if they're impermanent, can you really say they're self? What do we mean by impermanent? It means they, not just they change, but they arise and they cease. Once you see impermanent, it's not seeing, oh, it was like this before, now it's like this. It's saying, it was before and now it's gone. Seeing that every every experience is and then is gone. Seeing that there actually is no me that's changing. The person who existed when I was young, the person who will exist when I'm old, all of these things are just moment-to-moment -moment experience. There actually is no being. Life is much more fluid than we think. Fluid in the sense of no no entity, static entity. Like when you look at water, you think it's a, a uh, connected, it's one, one thing, one body of water, but actually it's many, many particles, drops of water. When you see that, then you see anatta. You see anatta based on impermanence and based on suffering. Because if it's suffering, then you, you can't say it belongs to you. And you shouldn't say it belongs to you. Two things. If it causes you suffering, you shouldn't cling to it. And if you cling to it, it causes you suffering. And you can't cling to it. Or you can't control it. And you know you can't control it because it causes you suffering. If you could control it, it wouldn't cause you suffering. This is the meaning. But the perception, the perception is in our practice. It's right here and right now. It's in my voice. You notice when the voice stops, you're still thinking about it. You're still going through the mind. You can still remember the sound of the voice. And normally, because of that, we think that it's continuous. My voice is still there, it's just sometimes noisy and sometimes quiet, but you think I'm talking. So when, when people make noise during a talk, they say, shh, the monk is talking now. Even though maybe the monk has stopped talking. Or someone interrupts you and you say, I'm in the middle of a talk. I'm giving a talk now. You think it's something, we say it and we we think like this. You think that I'm talking to you now, but actually there is the experience of sound arising at the ear. Once I stop, the sound has stopped. So seeing this is what our, our practice is about. And when you see this, this is what leads you to understand non-self. People have a hard time understanding non-self. Understanding what does it mean non-self? What is the does it mean that I have no soul or does it mean that I'm just a robot or just a physical? Really non-self is when you say to yourself, for example, hearing, hearing. And the mind expects the sound to go in this way or go according to its uh, desire to, to continue. So you'll say hearing, hearing, and there'll always be sound for you to hear, and then the sound stops. 
and you see that actually it's quite jarring, this, this experience of sound. You don't know when it's going to stop. So you see that the, that experience, the sound in your ear, your experience of hearing is impermanent, is non-self. This is what it, it's actually, you, you, maybe it's hard to understand if you're not practicing, but I think everyone here can understand what I mean. You, you see that your experience is not under your control. You can't make me start to talk. You can't make the sound arise. So when you say hearing, you feel this jarring, this shaking up of the mind, where the mind used to think that it was, hmm, here I am listening and I can sit here and I'll just listen, 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 but the listening only occurs because of the, the, the hearing. It sounds so simple and, and dumb, actually, like this can't be the wisdom we're looking for. But when you actually practice, you see how jarring it is for the mind, that the mind really is silly. The mind really is childish and, and, and ignorant in a kind of an embarrassing way because intellectually we already know this, but the mind is like betraying us. We already know that this is the case, but we don't really know it. We, we expect everything to be according to our desire, according to our wishes. And so we're jarred when it's not according to our wishes. And so we see that Clinging and craving is the cause of suffering. So these are the first two. This is really the basis of our practice. Number three, asubha sanya. This is something very useful for meditators. It comes in vipassana meditation as well, but some people put it into practice. The head, the, the bodies, body parts. So they break up the body parts. All 32 parts of the body, they break it up and look at one part, kesa, kesa, kesa. They look at the hair on their head and they realize how this hair is actually like, uh, kind of like uh, some kind of moss or something growing on a dung pile. I mean, you don't, you don't have to imagine how disgusting it is because if you don't shou sh shower your, or shampoo your head, the hair becomes oily and smelly. And what is the hair anyway? It's like this grass that's stuck in the scalp of blood and, and uh, oil. Where is the hair growing? It's growing in the oil and blood and skin of your head. And then the hair on the body. Sometimes we like, you know, we have chest hair or we have armpit hair or so on. But when we focus on it and think about it, it's actually quite disgusting. It's a hard talk to give. I think people here were okay with it, but for a larger audience, it's uh, the loathsomeness is difficult because people will want to argue that this is uh, this can be dangerous, and some people get low self-esteem as a result, or start to hate themselves as a result. But the point, this is why I think most important is in vipassana, that we understand it through vipassana, because that's natural. So the point is not to become disgusted about the body. The point is to realize that I don't have to feel self-conscious about myself. The body smells, that smell is natural. We don't think, oh, I've got to get rid of this because my body should be beautiful and, and sugar and spice and all things nice and smell like roses and clover. We stop thinking like that. We, we realize this that it is actually just like it is. It's not good or bad. We have none of this self-consciousness about how we look or how we uh, smell. Kind of get ashamed sometimes as a monk. And you remember that you didn't wash your robes for a week and you haven't showered in a few days, and someone invites you somewhere and you get in the car and you realize that you're not really uh, as fragrant as might be desired. But that's just a reason not to get in cars. It's not a reason to be ashamed. 
Uh, and sometimes you do have to fit in and so you shower and you, laundry, you wash your clothes. And but you stop looking at the body and, oh no, I'm getting old or thin or flabby. Or People look at look at things in quite different way when they haven't practiced. They always say of monks, no, they always I always get this. You're thinner. You're you're you look thinner than before. But the funny thing is, I get this every week or every month. So every time I see people, they say you look thinner than before. I think if I was actually getting thinner, I would have died by now. And people say this. So I always say, oh yes, yes, I feel very light. It's good, I'm lighter than before. So asubha means when you're practicing vipassana, just watching the feet, watching the... You'll start to see the truth of the body. The body is actually... Really the human body is a bit of a mistake, I think. And that's hard to understand it because we've, we're thoroughly entrenched in this mistake. But the human body is not such a wonderful thing. I mean, suppose it's more wonderful than, say, a, uh, a worm's body or a, a dog's body. But it's still uh, it's kind of like um, someone built a house and didn't do a very good job on it. Because we could have done a lot better, no? You can imagine maybe what an angel looks like. We could add wings or an aura or uh, straight teeth and perfect eyesight. And no, we could actually smell like roses and clover. That'd be nice. So the human, we start to see that the human body is not so beautiful, and that's useful for us to let go of it. Because there's no, there's no benefit to being born a human. There's no benefit to this existence. The only benefit to being born a human is that you can uh, interact with other humans. And you can learn from other humans, like the Buddha. No? If we weren't born human, if we were born as a worm or an ant or a dog, or so, we couldn't, couldn't have the chance to learn the Buddha's teachings. So there, that's why the Buddha said it's very good to be born a human. But intrinsically, there's nothing good about it. And so as humans, we have to come to realize and rise above even the human realm. You know, it's much better to be born as an angel than as a human. You can practice meditation much easier. So many angels became enlightened in the time of the Buddha because they could sit very still in meditation for months on end. But being an angel is still not as good as being born a Brahma. A Brahma in the in the Rupa Brahma realms, it's even easier to become enlightened. Your mind is so pure that you're able to understand the whole universe. And the these uh, Sudavasa Brahmas is where the Anagamis live. This is even this is so even an Anagami they. An anagami is someone who's free from kilesa, all greed and uh, all anger and all uh, greed for for sensuality. They're born as Brahma. So, and just to point out, as as a human being, we have so we have our work cut out for us because obviously we have some very very coarse defilements that made us be born in this very very coarse body. And we have to feed and clothe and clean and take care of. The Buddha said it has nine holes. Have you ever heard of the, this, carrying this sack around, this porous sack with nine holes leaking blood and pus and urine and feces and earwax and spit and snot and all the wonderful stuff that oozes out of this sack that we're carrying around. Quite useful to help us let go, really. When we see this, it makes us wake up and see our mistake. 
taking this body is beautiful. This sack of oozing, nine-hold sack oozing and uh, leaking. You can count the nine holes, see if you can find them all. They're all there. So this is Asubhasanya, number four, Adinavasanya. Adinavasanya, see the disadvantages of clinging or the problem, which has very much to do with Asubha actually, because the Buddha talks about the, the, the Adinava of the body, the disadvantages of the body. It's not just ugly, there's more to it than that. The Buddha said that there's the eye disease, the ear disease, the nose disease, the tongue disease. Sicknesses of the body, sicknesses of the heart, sicknesses of the spleen, the kidneys, the stomach, uh, sickness of the blood, sickness of the skin, the dangers, these are the dangers, the, the many, many kinds of suffering that, that come because we have a body. So not only is it leaking, but it's poisonous as well. It's contaminated as well. People who have cancer, people even just getting a flu or a cold. Every year we get the flu, we get a cold, and, and so on. Not to mention as we get older and then we have you know, maybe diabetes or, or we have cholesterol, heart disease, people who have stomach problems, people who have... Uh, skin problems. Many people have skin problems. Teeth start to fall out. Teeth problems. Nagasena and his wisdom teeth. I read a story today from Edgar Cayce's uh, reincarnation stories where there's one person, a uh, young girl, well, young girl, I think, suddenly went crazy. And they didn't know why. She's suddenly insane, totally uncontrollable, incoherent. And Edgar Casey, he went into a hypnotic state and said, he never met this person. He just said, like, I think it was just over the phone or something, or uh, something like that. He said, her wisdom tooth. She had an impacted wisdom tooth, and it was hitting a nerve. And the nerve was getting, going to the brain and and causing brain malfunction. And sure enough, when they removed the wisdom tooth, she, she, she got better again. This kind of thing happens. Crazy, no? And this wonderful body that we say, this body's a gift, or this body's very good for me. It's my temple. It's, uh, it doesn't mean we should hate it, or loathe it, or disregard it. We should take care of it. Just as when we have a, a wound, we should take care of the wound. An arahant still takes care of their body. But they take care of it as a wound, as, a, as they would a festering uh, wound or a cut, you know, injury. Something that always has to be dressed and bandages changed. Sometimes you have to pull something out, like a tooth or an organ. You know, the appendix. Anyone who says the body, the body is perfect, just look at the appendix. People can die from that. No? Tonsils. So many kinds of sickness. This is adinava. This is adinava of the body, but the mind. Really, the mind is even worse. And the disadvantages of the mind. We think, well, if I'm born an angel, then I'll have a perfect body, or. Even some, sometimes as a human I can have, well, all of us, I think, relatively good health. Except Palanyani, I know. She's dying. <laughs> but the rest of us are okay. <laughs> so we get, we get negligent, no? This is, we all know this, that this is very dangerous. We start to think that everything is fine with our body. That's in and of itself dangerous. That's why the Buddha said, Adina Vasanya, you have to remember. Don't lose sight of this. One day we'll be like Palanya. 
<laughs> Hopefully not anytime soon. <laughs> I'm just picking on you, I'm sorry. But it's helpful for us to think of these things and to confront them. But sometimes you can think like that, like my body, there's no problem with my body. So it actually is difficult to say Adinava because you can say, yes, yes, maybe one day I'll be sick. But you know, how, how can I take that as a meditation? But the mind. And some people are very, very sick, but their mind is pure. Like Mahamogalana, Mahakasapa, their minds were so pure, and yet their body still got sick. And so likewise, some, those of us who, who still have good health, our minds can be very sick. I think we see this much more in the practice. We also see the body is very useful for helping us give up kama tanha. But looking at the mind is much more useful for giving up bhava tanha and vibhava tanha. Wanting things to be like this or like that, wanting things not, wanting to create, wanting to become. When we see how the mind is so dangerous, actually quite shocking. We think it's okay, I, yeah, I like this, I like that, I want this, I want that. But I can control it. No, you can. No, that, not even a bit. When the lust comes up, when the desire for something comes up, no hope. Very dangerous. The mind will drag you, kicking and screaming, to the candy store. Forget what it wants. And if you want to get it out, you have to drag it kicking and screaming out of the candy store. And you don't want to go and it doesn't want to leave. Then you fight. We have to fight with our mind. This is dangerous. If we're not careful, it will overwhelm us for sure. Time and again, if you look at bad monks, monks who even have good intentions and then wind up getting on a bad course. You hear about monks who uh, wound up abusing children or wound up uh, drinking alcohol. Many, many different bad things. Alcoholics are very, very difficult. They're in a very difficult state because of their own mind. This is Adinova Sanya, number four. Number five, Bahana Sanya. This is starting on the path. Actually, the first part is seeing the bad side. Now we get into the good side. But we can actually give these things up. The Buddha said it's possible. The path, the path exists. If it didn't exist, he wouldn't have taught. He said, if it didn't exist, I wouldn't tell you to abandon these things. If you couldn't abandon these things, I wouldn't tell you to abandon them. I would say like everyone else says, oh, I'll live with it. So you see, the Buddha wasn't pessimistic. He was, if anything, optimistic, because people say, yeah, life is suffering, so live with it. Make the best of it. That's pessimistic, really. Or they say realistic, maybe. Maybe they think the Buddha was, was not realistic. But certainly he wasn't pessimistic. He said, no, no, there's a way out. Don't settle for such a horrible state of affairs, because for most people it seems like a wonderful state of affairs. Just like pigs. Pigs in the mud. Actually, pigs in the mud are fairly pitiful. They don't really like to be in the mud. They're fairly clean animals in the wild. But dung beetles in a dung pile or, or whatever, they'd be very content. But someone else who looks at them and thinks, that, that's a hor what a horrible lifestyle. So the Buddha said, there's a way out. This, we don't have to put up with this. We can be free. We can be happy. We can be free from suffering. So pahana sanya is the giving it up. Once you see all of these bad things, the purpose of seeing, not seeing bad things, seeing that things are bad, seeing clearly that those things are suffering, seeing them that they're suffering. 
when you have pain, just looking at it, teaching your mind, this, this baby of a mind, that it is suffering. Until the mind gets to say, I get it, and it lets go. This is pahana The practice of, of vipassana is pahana. When you see the impermanent suffering and non-self, the mind abandons. So at the, the, the pinnacle of vipassana is the abandoning. With the abandoning, uh, there is the dispassion. The mind releases. There is the mind without greed. Viragasanya. With the with the uh, with the dispassion, then there is cessation. So these ones go actually quite quickly. They have to go together. You uh, give up, giving up dispassion with dispassion. There is free freedom. This these three come together very often in the Buddha's teaching. Virago, vimuchati, vimutto, vimuttamiti, vimuttasming, vimuttamiti. This is what we're going to chant in the Anattadakana Sutta when we get the chanting book together. When he's dispassionate, then he's. When one is dispassionate, becomes dispassionate, one is uh, freed. When one is freed, one knows I'm free. Virago. The nirodo, nirodha sanya, cessation. So the cessation of suffering comes when you let go, when you are dis when you don't have the craving, when you don't cling, because you've let go. So this is what seven, no. Number eight, samba lokehi anabilata sanya. Seeing that birth as a human or in the in the sensual realms, even as an angel birth as a Brahma in this form, material Brahma realms like a ball of light or a god with form or being born in the immaterial Brahma realms of infinite space or infinite consciousness or nothingness in the state of nothingness or, or total total quietude of mind with not, not even not even seeming to have perception. To see that all of these are undesirable. Not wanting to be born as a human again, not wanting to be born in heaven again, seeing that none of these have any benefit. This one I think is quite difficult. If a person really had this, they'd be an arahant. So at this stage in the practice we can, it's not, 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 uh, Maybe more than we can hope for. We don't have to worry so much, but we understand it, and at the very least, we give up the world that we're in, meaning the world of being born as a, well, as a non-Buddhist for starters, no, and being born as a, a, a wicked person who had temper tantrums when we were young and was mean to our parents who tried their best to love and look after us, who was nasty to our teachers and who got in all sorts of trouble or whatever things that we did. Try our best to not do, make the mistakes that we made before. To become disenchanted with where we've come from. At the very least we can, we can do that. Because even a sotapanna can come back and be born as a human. Generally will become, come back and be born as a human. Or maybe, maybe that's too much to say because it seems like more often a Sotapanna would be born in heaven. But even heaven, we have to be careful because even an, even someone who's not a Sotapanna, who hasn't become enlightened, can still be born in heaven. Practicing Vipassana. There was a story of a monk who was uh, practicing walking meditation and not eating enough. And all night he would do walking meditation, but he hadn't eaten enough, and so he had some nervous damage, and he died while doing walking meditation because he's strong concentration, but the body couldn't handle it. This is why it's important to eat. You have to be careful not to fast, not to eat too little, 
because maybe your mind can take it, but the body will collapse. This happens in meditation courses. People get to the point where they can't continue in the practice. Even though their mind is okay, the body can't handle it anymore. So you need the body, or it's easier with the body. Right? The body can be useful, so we, this is why we eat at least a little bit every day. And, but for this monk, what happened was then he was born in, in heaven. He wasn't enlightened. But the commentary says that if you die in meditation, you're born in heaven no matter what. If you die walking meditation, or if you die in sitting meditation, at the very least you'll be born in heaven. Now, of course, this isn't, this isn't for sure. We can think of people having nasty thoughts during meditation and clinging to them and then dying and being born in a bad place. But if you're really intent on the meditation practice, that wholesomeness has a great power to it. Because at, the, at that moment, we're very much in tune with the Buddha, with, the Buddha with, with purity, with clarity, with wisdom. And he was born in, in heaven, and there were all these angels there in heaven, and they all came up to him and said, Oh, here's our new Lord and Master. Not the Lord and Master, but the, the the new King of the heaven of this this heaven heavenly area, heavenly home. And so they said, "Come dance and sing." And the the new angel, he thought he was still a, a monk, and he thought that, that these women had, or these angels, uh, these angels had come to the the monastery. Women, they would be nymphs or something, <laughs> and. Uh, he thought these, these women, the half-naked women, had come to the monastery, so he, he didn't even look at them. He put his, his head down and, and, and just tried to look at the floor and, and keep with his meditation practice. Because he was afraid that he was still attracted. This is why he was born in heaven, because he was very much attracted to this sort of thing. And finally they, 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 they convinced him to understand that he was no longer a monk and he shouldn't act like a monk, he should act like an angel. They convinced him that he was a uh, an angel. They showed him his, himself in the mirror. And he was shocked. And right away he went to find the Buddha. He went down. He was horrified. He said, this is the grove of delusion. And the moha, Mohawan or something like that. The, uh, they, they called it the, the grove of delight. They called it the grove of delusion. He said, this is where I'd been born. He said, I was looking for the gold medal and I, all I got was a handful of turnips. And so he went to see the Buddha. And the Buddha taught him and said, continue on your way. Continue with the practice that you started. You, will be, you can still become enlightened. So it's easy to become, even in heaven, it's easy to become uh, negligent. Don't, don't just think that if I practice meditation, it's okay. If I don't get it in this life, maybe I'll get it in the next life. You have to be careful. You have to set your heart on the goal. And if you don't make it in this life, make an ardent wish that in the next life you still continue to practice. Be clear in your mind what is important. Don't get caught up. Don't have this abhiratta, this uh, delight in... in, in, in any world in any existence. Be clear that if, you're, if I'm born in heaven, I'm not going. To, I'm going to be like this monk and teach the meditation, teach the nymphs how to meditate. Because there are many Buddhists in heaven, and if you find them, you find them. You can practice with them. But there are many non-Buddhists in heaven. If you hook up with them, you don't know what where it will lead you. Just like many rich people become negligent and don't do any good things and then when they die they go to a, an unwholesome realm. Many angels when they die they can be born in hell. Or maybe through the human realm be born into a bad state and then go to hell. Because they are not, uh, I think directly can go to hell because they are all obsessed and, and partial and therefore get angry very easily and so on. This is Sambalokehi and Abhirata Sanya. Even the Brahma realms, we should be clear that they're not 
they are not a, appropriate to cling to because if we cling to them we'll get lost and then we can come back and be born as a pig. So number eight. Number nine, uh, following up on that, seeing that all, all sankharas are undesirable. So this even even more than the world, this is the final final attainment for arahantship, I would say. It's giving up all sankharas. Sankara is different from loka. Loka is undesirable means, or no, not delighting in the world, means concept. But sankara here is reality. So coming to see that all sankara, to, to lose any desire in them which is just another way of explaining the meditation practice in, in, in quite direct terms because this is what the pahana is, this is what it is, the giving up is. Seeing that, seeing that the world is made up of sankharas, made up of formations, made up of experiences. And being able to see experiences for what they are without any attachment to them. This is number nine. And finally, number ten is the sort of the Buddha's cherry on the cake, I suppose, because it comes back to the actual practice. Once you have all this in your mind, put it into practice. And this is the anapanasati. He said, start with your breath. So when the breath comes into the body, understand the sankharas, understand the experience. What is the experience of the breath coming into the body? The expansion of the stomach and the expansion of the chest and the feeling of the air, the cold feeling in the body, and then the contraction and the hot feeling as the breath goes out. So the, the, ultimately the, the point of the tenth one is, is this means this is a practical teaching. This is not for us to intellectualize or think or ponder or doubt about question. It's for us to realize for ourselves through the practice. All of this only has meaning in terms of our physical practice, walking and sitting, and being aware of the four satipatthana, starting with anapanasati and mindful of the postures of the body and the vedana and the citta and the dhamma, the hindrances and the senses and so on. It only makes sense if we actually put it into practice. So there is a good pep talk, something that is, I hope you can see how profound and broad is the Buddhist teaching from a talk like this. If, if so, then I've done it a little bit of justice. And so now we come to the end and we come to the, this tenth one reminds us that the task is still ahead of us to do our practice. So now we continue together mindful prostration, walking and sitting.